0: You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello, please let me see your ticket stubs for the Double Edge Double Bill. Tonight, we explain anime in the Pokemon show. week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then both will have to pick a number between one and ten in order to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin! And who's that Pokemon? It's me, Thomas Mariani. And I am
1: a trainer. I don't really know what's going on here. And I'm Adam Thomas.
0: <laughs> am I your Pokemon? Is that how this worked? Did you capture me in a Pokeball? Just...
1: I guess. I don't know. Maybe?
0: (laughs) We'll talk about that. There's a lot to talk about with that. But, you know, Adam, uh, we're talking about a subject that uh, you and I aren't as familiar with with anime, which is the subject du jour for the evening. And uh, whenever we have a topic maybe you and I aren't as versed in, we definitely like to have a guest who's more of an expert. And, you know, we we had a couple options. Previous guests have definitely been pretty big uh, otakus, as the kids say. But we knew there was only one person who could come in here and uh, school us. On the ways of Japan and its animation style. That is Mr.
1: Miyazaki himself. <laughs>
0: Miyazaki, we got Miyazaki. We'll have a translator. <laughs> it's it's going to be very complicated. No, we have uh, Mr. Jonathan Habit Kale returning back to the show. Jonathan, welcome.
2: Welcome, welcome to me, an entity born from the sea of animu and manga. Oh, God.
0: All right. <laughs> is that what this is going to be? Okay. I don't know, no, no. I,
2: I, I wanted to have a cool little intro like you guys. We had the cool intro, really, when we were
0: like, off mic, where we had to, like Adam and I both got our keys and put them in the desk, and then the red phone came up, and then we called you specifically. You are out in yeah. your like cabin in the woods, just like, I can't talk about anime anymore. It's been too long.
2: I, I no longer have the beard, but yeah.
1: I'm just a humble hay farmer now. <laughs>
0: Ugh. It's like the opening of yeah. Commando, <laughs> and we're just kidding, Yonathan.
1: At least I carry big-ass trees, it's just foot-long hot dogs. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, Jonathan. we usually, whenever we invite a guest back on, we give them like a list of topics, but we definitely saw you specifically for this episode,
2: because as long as I've known
0: you, and I've known you quite a while, you are a pretty big fan of the anime. Is that accurate?
2: Yes, yes. I have been a fan of anime since I was a wee one, as in, like, really young. I would remember some shows on Nick Jr., which were animated differently, and they were actually darker than I expected from, you know, early childhood uh, programming. And I was like, what is this? This is no Disney retelling. I don't understand it wasn't until like later that I realized w- that it was all made in Japan. It's really gone from that on where I pretty much started watching shows that had interesting themes that just weren't covered in American television. And what do you think makes anime distinct, necessarily, and why you kind of glommed onto it at
0: such a young age and still continue to peruse it
2: the, the obvious thing is the facial expressions it, they really have expressive eyes in the world we'll always say that eyes are the window to the soul what i can recall from stuff like rogue and and other nicktoons or even also in disney channel is that unless you're talking about like a uh, classic disney movies a lot of american television did not really emphasize on eyes not just uh expanding or darkening or lightning to show emotion, but also just techniques of at least con- as being able to see the eyes, even if the face is covered by hair or darkening the eyes to show a very strange mood, to be mysterious and all like that. That's what really stuck with me. And I think that probably stuck with a lot of people who actually started watching anime, other than just being taking up like two thirds of the face.
0: Right, true. I mean, I I still remember when I was younger, anime was always something that, like, I uh, flirted with, I guess. It was always just on the periphery, though, for me. But I do remember a distinctive point. I think it'll lead into the second movie we're talking about was a lot of the reason why a lot of uh, animation from Japan came over here. Um, But Mm -hmm. I remember around the time that I was, like, a little kid, I distinctly remember a point where I would watch, like, Saturday morning cartoons back when that was, like, a thing, And it would be like all these like, oh, uh, Disney-related things like the Disney Afternoon or like something on Nickelodeon to some extent. Like stuff I was familiar with. And then there was a certain point where it just all of a sudden flipped a switch and it was like all anime. Super dubbed over anime. Like especially uh, for kids uh, which was the company that dubbed a lot of anime and put it out for kids out here, really farmed the shit out of like so many shows. (laughs) That I at least Mm -hmm. perused to some extent because it was just on TV. but But Adam... Uh, What is your perhaps limited experience with uh, the medium of anime?
1: Uh, When I was a kid, I could, you know, I always knew the difference in animation from some of my favorite shows. I obviously didn't realize they were done in Japan, but like, you know, Thundercats, Silverhawks, Voltron, all that stuff. I didn't realize it was out of Japan, but it definitely had a distinct style to it. Unlike all the other ones that were out. And I always preferred sort of, I don't want to say realism, but the more uh, detailed oriented Uh, work that went into it. Then when I got older, you know, I I did watch some anime, like, you know, I've seen Ninja Scroll a thousand times, Akira a thousand times, the Slayers movies a thousand times. Like, I've seen a bunch. I went through a quick period of probably about like two to three years, and then that was it. And I really haven't stuck with the genre that much. Uh, Not that I'm not a fan of it. It's just, it's so massive and over-encompassing to where it can be a little daunting. Uh, it's like, what the fuck should I watch next? Oh, let's see. There's 8 million choices at all times. Hentai, of course. Hentai. You know, gotta let that <laughs> well, I mean,
0: you love course. <laughs> he keeps suggesting a hentai episode, and I keep telling yeah. him, no, Adam, <laughs> we're not doing that. Yeah,
2: I would say it's probably better to look at anime as more like a style or a culture of different genres, because you're right. If, if you're not really interested in mecha, then there is a lot of martial arts anime. If you're not even into any sort of uh, physical violence stuff, there is a lot of dramas, a lot of different romantic comedies. Especially now, usually except for this hellscape of the year, there's about 20 to 30 new shows of varying different uh, styles and plots that you could just jump in and watch like one or two shows every three months and really get into some interesting stories. And that's just with the TV series, with movies. It's it's now becoming more and more uh, prevalent, especially to Fathom events and Funimation films that you could watch a movie of some original uh, creation or an adaptation of some manga or even uh, stories that are only, uh, like actual novels from Japan. And there's a lot of things that you could do and you don't have to be a Naruto kid running around with your arms extended to your back to actually enjoy anime
0: yeah I, I think a big thing was when i was younger at least a lot of the stuff that was coming over and actually being dubbed and like put out there and i'm guessing it's an even smaller batch with like an atom is definitely like it tended to be more of like the people in mecha suits and all this other stuff that i just wasn't into at the time i still remember probably my first experience with like gatekeeping to some extent was when dragon ball z was a thing um in the states and was just like coming over and like all the kids in my elementary school loved it i remember distinctly like trying to get into it and trying to like make friends with people who were into it and i was a simpsons kid at the time and i drew like a version of like bart as a super saiyan and i showed like, oh, somebody who I was like trying to be friends with and immediately he got super judgy about like well what level super saiyan is he and what what, what the fuck are you talking about Thomas? this is dumb and i'm like oh okay I think that was a big factor. (laughs) Just, I, I experienced a lot of that when I was younger, with anime especially, but I think as I've gone to it more at my own pace, I do agree, especially like anime film, which we'll be talking about here specifically, there's a lot more variety, and especially now it's being transported over and either dubbed or subbed, um, that you can at least dig into, that's a bit more diverse. If nothing else, like anime, what I love is that unlike some western animation, like, they fully acknowledge anime as just, like, an, a medium rather than a genre.
1: Right. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. One thing I always hated with Dragon Ball fans, not that I hate Dragon Ball fans, but there's that select group to where it's like, dude, name your favorite superhero. I like Spider-Man, Goku could beat him. Okay. <laughs> name your favorite superhero. Ah, uh, Super <laughs> Goku kicked his ass. You're like, dude, why? I don't want to have this conversation. Like, why are we having this conversation? And it just got tired of, okay, they're fighting for three episodes. Like, cool.
0: Hey, hey, they fight for three episodes, then they talk to each other for eight episodes. Right, to be that's fair. true. And then,
1: like, you know, it's Cell version 9 or whatever the fuck.
2: Like, okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> whatever.
2: Yeah, to be fair, Adam, those types of Dragon Ball fans are even hated by anime fans. There's I would a...
1: imagine so, yeah.
2: Like, it's okay if you're like, hey, what would happen if, you know, this thing would happen in Dragon Ball? Like, it's fun to, like, talk about those kind of things. But, yeah, once you get into combining or having modern anime characters fight Goku, it's ridiculous. It's kind of the reason why uh, there was a huge controversy when uh, the Rooster Teeth show uh, Death Battle did Goku versus Superman and Goku lost. And then the Internet just blew up. Because people could not comprehend that Superman, a very overpowered DC character, would obliterate Goku. Like, a it's...
1: very overpowered other character. Right? <laughs> yeah. What are, we, what are we talking about here? It's a god versus a god. Like, okay. Yeah. Well, Besides, well,
0: we know Spider Man could be both of them anyway, guys. That's the point. Yeah. That's... Anyway, we're here to talk about two specific films, which if you're new to the show, every week uh, Adam and I pick. Two uh, random movies based on, each of us has uh, two picks, either too good, too bad, we switch off on the quality, and uh, we end up getting the random selection of a good and a bad feature to talk about on the episode, and so last time, uh, we ended up getting for a good pick, uh, from my choices, was the original Ghost in the Shell anime film, and Adam's bad choice uh, was Pokemon, the first movie. Calm down, nostalgic 90s kids. We'll get into that later. But... Let's start with our good pick, Ghost in the Shell.
2: Ghost in the Shell is the next generation of animated feature entertainment. The story centers around a life form that evolves from the internet seeking asylum in a cybernetic human host. Ghost in the Shell. Released theatrically worldwide. Fall 1995.
0: So, uh, Ghost in the Shell uh, came out November 18th, 1995, um, and I'm—we're going to apologize immediately, at least for the sake of Adam and myself—that uh, anytime we're going to mention actors or directors or anybody, we're going to mispronounce a lot of names, most likely.
1: I don't know. Scarlett Johansson's pretty easy to say.
0: Oh, did we? Oh, oh God damn it! <laughs> oh no! What have I done? <laughs> oh, well, um, we are talking about the anime version of this, obviously. You're, you're referencing the 2017 American film that everyone loved and everyone's still talking about to this day. Best movie uh, ever made. Best That's movie ever, ever made, clear, without any kind of awful implications whatsoever. Um, but the anime um, originally came out November 18th, 1995, and that uh, was based on the manga think could you maybe help us out with some of these names, like who the director is, who wrote this, the anime, okay. anything?
2: All right, so Ghost in the Shell was directed by Mamoru Oishi. It was written by Kazunori Ito, and the manga was created by Masamune Shiro.
0: Thank you very much, sir. All right.
2: <laughs> so all complaints go to Jonathan if he fucked it
0: yep. up. Anyway. <laughs> no, um this was um a very influential animator. This was one of uh, from my reading at least one of the big ones that was at least like the first attempt at a crossover hit in the states. Is that accurate, Jonathan?
2: I was a kid back then, so I can't really get or re- recollect from my own memory, but I would say that especially looking at all the blockbusters and um Another knockoff video stores, there was always at least three copies of Ghost in the Shell. So, even if it wasn't as mainstream as they wanted to be, it was prevalent for viewing.
0: I remember knowing some, like, older kids, like, around, like, the late 90s who, like, would say, Oh, man, you like that Pokemon shit? Well, guess what? This is some real hardcore stuff. Ghost in the Shell, Ninja Scroll. Like, it's one of those, like, top-tier titles that they would have definitely, like, out. (laughs) Like, I wonder who could have said that (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I absolutely, I saw Ghost of Shell pretty soon after it first came, uh, majorly stateside, like when like when Yonathan it was on the video stores and everything. I saw it then, I remember really thinking it was pretty cool, but yeah, that that's kind of, I think, where my sort of dissociation with anime happened, when, you know, Dragon Ball and the subject of our uh, Pokemon and all that hit big, and I'm like, this is what anime is now? What about Ghost of Shell, Ninja Scroll? Akira, <laughs> Vampire Hunter D, Golden Circuit, Professional. Hey, assholes, you don't know. There's no nudity and blood in this. This is an anime.
2: Oh, the time travel we're going to. Oh. oh, I hated those types of guys. Okay, you're talking about gatekeeping. For the longest time, until like pretty much the turn of the century, we had a bunch of annoying 20 to 30 year olds who are probably now 40 to 50 who constantly were berating, like, Oh, you like that kid shit? You gotta like watch all this because it's because it, it is all about the nudity and the blood. It really gave a bad connotation of anime. It was either the kitty Pokemon uh, type of stuff or it's the gratuitous violence or even going into the idea hentai then also gets conflated with anime.
1: <laughs> yeah so stupid um (laughs) no i you know like i said i i don't think i was necessarily i never gave anybody shit for watching the like dragon ball and stuff like that i just didn't understand like i had no idea that you know because growing up anime wasn't as readily available here as it is now like we had to go to specialty video stores to rent or buy the tapes or even order online the VHSs. like we're talking pre-dvd everything so when when all of a sudden Television started getting flooded with the more children-centric. To me, I, I just I literally didn't understand that there were so many different subgenres that there could be. It wasn't until I saw like s- the show Slayers, where it was like silly but still kind of fun and fantasy and exciting and everything. That I'm like, oh, there's just that many different fucking subgenres of this specific niche sort of filmmaking. And I say niche; it was niche here at the time. Obviously, it's been huge you know, overseas forever. But, yeah, I, I, you know, the thing is, like I said, Ghost in the Shell was definitely sort of the gateway for a lot of people. I mean, it was a big one. I'd say Akira and Ghost in the Shell were the two biggest sort of like, oh, my God, this is what fucking anime is. Like, this is amazing.
0: But What I do like, at least about liking Akira or with a Ghost in the Shell, is the fact that, It doesn't seem like the movies, either of them, are really, like, trying to impress upon you. It's like, oh, no, we're dark and edgy. It's like, they're just trying to tell this story, which so happens to be either, like, really gory or, you know, salacious to some extent. And that's why, especially with, like, a ghost in the show, which I hadn't seen before, honestly, this uh, auspice. That's kind of why I chose it. Uh, Upon seeing it now, it's like, oh, wow, I like the fact that the movie doesn't really call attention to, like, hey, we're being fucked up, gory, weird, crime, fucking we're adults here it's like no they're just telling the this story in this particular medium
2: oh i have to really commend also the uh the tv series standalone complex because that was like my deep dive into ghost in the shell in the early 2000s because it took exactly what this film started and expanded into a real like police procedural while having also a long form plot for in each of its two main seasons It was actually one of the smarter shows that I felt that Adult Swim has aired.
0: Well, and how do you feel, though, about the origin point here with the original Ghost in the Shell, Jonathan?
2: When I first watched Ghost in the Shell, the movie, uh, subtitled, I felt that there was a lot of information that they were trying to get through, just trying to explain the world, at least my first time, that I felt it was better done as a TV series, which I feel like is kind of the reversal of all the different things that we see now in anime where film and television kind of converge. But in the later viewings, especially around the time of uh, that 2017 live action movie, I found an appreciation with the, at least the discussions of the sense of self identity, collectivism and individualism in a world where man and machine are almost pretty much intertwined to the point that you really have to question how much of yourself is yourself when you have a replaceable body. And that is some heavy stuff that I felt like probably a lot of people overlooked in the beginning because uh, you have uh, major Kusanagi naked like three times in the movie and like, yeah, it's, it's there, but there's a lot more story in there that you can actually sink into which really shows as there are so many continuities of Ghost in the Shell after this uh, after this film even remix of the actual original film
0: yeah i've noticed there's a lot like there's even like a 2.0 right where they uh, the director added a lot more like cg and stuff like that there's been like a lot of sort of following up on this it's been a big franchise but uh, adam how do you feel about the origin point with this first ghost in the shell
1: i, I think it holds up pretty remarkably well i mean you have to pay attention it's incredibly convoluted there's a lot of dialogue there's a lot of random explanation you're like what the fuck but it, it, you know it's a it's not that long i mean what is this maybe an hour
0: about 82 minutes
1: yeah a little yeah. over an hour pretty fun watch the animation is still quite fantastic and and like you alluded to earlier it's just it's they're using this medium to tell a very sort of heady sci-fi noir movie uh, because the technology to make this movie at the time wasn't available in live action. And then you get the 2017 version, which is, you know, I mean, it's superior. It's the best movie i ever made. Right, yes. Yeah, I mean, true, true. The, the original is just still fantastic. It, it It's really, really well done. And even the english dub version, it's not offensive on the ears, as some English-dubbed anime can be. Like, it's it's not great, but it's still decent. I've seen some where it's like, it's hard to... Even a watch because the dubbing is so fucking bad. But this one, I mean, for all accounts and purposes, it, I think it's still really, really good. I still think it looks smooth. It, it, it's just, it's a fun watch.
2: Going back to the dubcast, I actually thought they did a great job, especially because this is a 1995 film. Mm-hmm. Uh, Richard Epcar playing Bato, he is still playing Bato in all of Ghost in the Shell for the most part, like he is still doing that same gravelly voice and he is endearing. I hate to go back again to the 2017 movie, but that movie is like over two hours and we get more character development for section nine members that only had like a scene in that ScarJo movie. And they actually interact and have far more depth and humanity than the actual human beings that were playing them. Like Otter Maki is still phenomenal as just a politician as well as basically a police chief, while Beat Takeshi was just sitting there on his chair just mumbling his lines.
0: Yeah, what I really dug about watching here, because the first thing I saw of any Ghost in the Shell thing was, unfortunately, that 2017 movie, um, which I was just like, wow, this looks pretty, but I'm fucking bored. Watching this one, uh, this original film, this one has so much more depth and also has a lot more political intrigue than I... Uh, really got from the uh, 2017 movie, especially with... I like the fact that it, it's kind of playing on stuff that the Wachowskis, who were very inspired by this movie with the Matrix movies, were kind of trying to do with the sequels to the Matrix, where, like, the sort of two major sort of forces that are fighting here, with you have, like, the Puppet Master versus Um, uh, um I like the fact that there really are just, like, puppets being manipulated, by these two like political forces that are just kind of like trying to put this as like a scapegoat for what they're really doing underneath. I, I was really intrigued especially by that, how it makes the sort of like big awesome conflict feel almost like just a game of chess that two people are mildly playing while really corrupt fucked up shit is going underneath.
2: And it's even scarier when they actually still recall that they are very similar to each other and they don't even see each other as true adversaries it's just because, like you said, it's the it's the actual placement of the situations, with the puppet master being an AI that reaches consciousness. It just brings the fact that with uh, Kusan, uh, kusanagi kusanagi who is pretty much completely a cyborg, just the idea of what are these two pieces of basically a real whole, which goes into the actual conclusion, which we could probably go more detail later, but that whole idea really, I feel like, this does resonate with at least the uh, original Matrix, with all of the ideas of what is controlled. How do you believe what is real? Uh, Kusanagi questioning if she's just a copy of someone else who's died long ago, or, or actually doing really risky stuff like deep-sea diving with a really heavy cyborg body trying to find hope in moments of actual potential death
0: yeah which i will admit like my only like my biggest problem with this which isn't like a huge thing that made me necessarily dislike it is admittingly like you said this is a thing even in the subbed version all of us for full disclosure watch dubs for both the movies we're talking about tonight um there's a lot of explaining things <laughs> sometimes it gets to be like a bit much in a way that like i still like what they're explaining but it's like we're doing a huge dump here like the scene on the boat where about you just talks yes. about, like, so, hey, how's it like being uh, a cyborg? Well, let me explain to this beautiful detail. <laughs> it goes on for a while.
1: That's what I was alluded to earlier. It could get a little, like, convoluted, where it's like, this is just, you are really over-explaining everything. <laughs> but, again, that's probably my only gripe with the movie at this point, too, I mean, to be honest. Because I agree, that boat scene, holy <laughs> fucking hell. It reminds um, me of this Matrix sequel with the guy, <laughs> with the fucking dude in the white suit. So you know, the arc,
0: like, vis-a-vis their ergo.
1: Oh, you're like, oh, God, please. Just fucking say, I don't know, dude, I'm a robot. I do cool shit. Done. Got it. Sweet.
2: But like why the, didn't that. you
0: make the Ghost in the Shell remake? I would have loved your you ScarJo say that.
1: It works. Shh.
2: Shh. The, the, one of the things that I do like, even with, uh, with repeated viewings, really was the scene where... Uh, Multico is just on the boat and she's just looking at the cityscape and she sees another person with the same cyborg body and she's just having lunch and they just look at each other uh, from a glass pane, which uh, it really emphasizes through the window a lot of the imagery of either windows or mirrors or some sort of reflection, having a barrier. Are you seeing yourself or are you seeing... Some sort of a copy. and then ending in that scene with an actual mannequin with the same face it was just is just beautiful. It's those yeah. things that that Oshi really does well. and unfortunately, yes, you still had to have scenes with with a cyborg torso explaining its existence and then other more discussions once we had to jack into each other. like it happens, but it is still to a point works.
0: No, I agree. I think what I like is that there's a mixture of like these big, heavy exposition things, but also something that I think is really distinctive that makes anime sort of feel a bit different from most Western animation is a lot of the quiet contemplation sort of moments, like that montage you're talking about, which I agree is phenomenal. It's probably like the best sequence of the movie. But also, even like during our big fight where you have your giant robot that's like shooting everything, there's just a point where everything pauses and just rain falls down. There's just like a moment where everything just exists in a paused vacuum, a pregnant pause that we're just waiting for the tension to drop the other shoe just to immediately start shooting people, basically. I, I love that in this movie in particular. Those are sort of, like, my favorite interesting moments. I feel almost like they're inspired by something like a Blade Runner, but you could also see how they've inspired things that came out post-1995, like even a Matrix oh, no. or some of these other things.
2: Especially in future anime as well. Like, uh, just the idea of expanding uh, cityscapes, involving with sci-fi, with cyborgs, like Wild Ghost in the Shell is... The top one, say other series, including film and television, that do take from Ghost Hill, just like they take from Blade Runner, and so on and so forth.
1: Can we talk about how how uh, dope the theme is? The main theme. Oh yeah, the music's great. I, it, it's the music in this is so fantastic. It, it hooks you sort of right away, like the opening credit sequence with the uh, the main theme is really great. And then the scene with the plane flies over the time to- the city and everything. It's just I absolutely love the score in this.
2: Movie. Even the calm tune uh while everyone is actually going through following the uh section 6 cars it's just a really a nice calm before the storm of the climax
0: and i like the fact also that it's like we mentioned there it has this great mix of like these very quiet contemplative moments but also really kick-ass action probably my favorite action sequence is everything involving like the garbage truck going around and when they like have that freeway chase that just goes like so over-the-top and all this other stuff, I think that's probably the centerpiece action sequence. And especially how they, like, really deal with, like, our um, sort of hapless uh, garbage char- uh, man character, uh, where you initially think, like, oh, he's just, like, some stupid family man whatever, and how that slowly just completely unravels down to the point where, after we have another quiet scene which just two characters talking to each other in the interrogation booth. And it's just like, oh, wait, I've never had a family. I don't have a kid. This is a picture of me. What the fuck's happening? It really gets you sort of like pumped and then gives you like enough of a breath to also contemplate the really fucked up like philosophical elements of the story.
2: And then realizing that there's no way to return to your old self because the idea of a ghost is your consciousness. So if you overwrite your consciousness... There's no way to really recover it. It's also a prescient style of how we are dealing with our own technology. Like when things break down, we pretty much just replace. But there are things that we are losing to, to digital rot. And speaking of other quiet moments, uh, uh, with the uh, uh, with the guy who's actually leaving the cards in the in all the phone booths, I just recall like. Every time I see, like, he's constantly uh, being gunned down by by Bato in the busy marketplace. But once he gets into the alleys, he's just calm, just breathing and and trying to catch his breath. And then once he's out in the water, he just smiles. Yeah. That always hit me. I thought at first, like, why? I mean, later on, I realized, like, it's uh, indicate the point once he's completely uh, controlled by the puppet master. But you could also look at it as he's home free. But he sent something, and then he started shooting in the water, and then you get the awesome fight scene with the uh, thermo camouflage major.
0: Oh, that thermo camouflage thing is still so dope at the beginning. That's such a great fucking bit, especially just that she puts her hands slowly over her face. It's yeah. so good. I just love. Like it's it's very clear. Like oh, it's like mid 90s CG, but also you don't give a shit. That's just like don't move. She's pulling John Cena before John Cena was a thing. You can't see.
2: She is actually invisible. We can't see her.
0: Yeah, do that Cena. Where's that in Fast 9? Hey, Cena could do anything. Don't <laughs> you dare.
2: Oh, you know they would do it in Fast 9.
0: He's basically wrestling's Goku, right? Yep, yep, yep. Before we get to our final thoughts, though, I did want to ask, uh, Jonathan, you were mentioning uh, the ending. What do you think sort of sticks out for you, especially about kind of like how the puppet master and uh, the Kusagi character kind of like meld together?
2: Because uh, I mentioned before, like they have the missing piece that the other has, like the actual uh, physical body or the... Uh, The means of actually trying to propagate themselves because the whole idea of the puppet master really wanted a way to die, which kind of reminds me of Blade Runner with the replicants in a way that shows that he he has been manipulating so many things that he just wants to control his own destiny. I know I'm using he they refer to him as him once it's and he has a deep voice, but he's actually for the only body uh, that we see the Puppet Master in is actually a woman's body, so we'll just go with that and deal with Kusanagi as a, as a woman. I right. felt that the idea of actually trying to find a next evolution, in a sense, because even when, in the fight with the giant Tachikoma spider tank, as uh, Kusanagi is, is running away from the actual fire, we see a tree of life, we see fossilized uh, dinosaurs, is the idea of, we're going to the next level, not just for a physical sense, but also for an emotional connection, because we constantly have seen Kusanagi still feels separated from the world, but she's uh, but she's still trying to find some sort of semblance of self, while the Puppet Master just tries to use the idea, the same idea of um, of risking death for life he also found a way to use their own means to actually create what they believe is the next generation using the idea of digital genes and the such, but they're still themselves but not themselves because it's that same contradiction because they're both having that contradiction and I find that actually fascinating especially with them actually uh, having a young girl's body instead of just disseminating all the information of yourself into the cosmos so you can be one with everyone it does that middle ground of they're still an identity, but with the memories of the past of both entities, they create something different.
0: Yeah, I, I really like the fact that it feels almost like this weird morally gray ending in terms of like it feels like it's a happy ending for these two Uh, cybernetic creatures, basically, who have, like, one is basically a tool of the state, and the other one is this anarchist sort of monster of sorts to us. But I like the fact that the, the ending after having, like, a big cool thing with the spider tank becomes more about just this philosophical thing you're talking about where it's like, well, we're two halves of a whole, and we can complete each other at this point. And even, like, the ending shots where she and the smaller body is looking out into the distance. It's like, oh, that's happy for her, but oh, fuck, she might, like, kill us all. <laughs> and we kind of deserve it because humanity's kind of shitty anyway. It's bringing up a lot of these interesting questions that I, I really was commending, especially with that ending. It's a, it's a great example of, like, a thinker but an actioner at the same time. It's all there. But um, let's go ahead and get into our final thoughts then. Uh, we'll go ahead and start with uh, Adam, your final thoughts on Ghost in the Show.
1: You know, this one, I've seen this one quite a few times. It's one of the few that I, I owned a physical copy of because everything I like in a movie is in this. Like, I, I'm a huge sci-fi fan, a huge, you know, action fan. I really like heavy sci-fi. And like I said, the score is fantastic. There's no question that ghost in the shell it deserves the status it has and continues to have and it, it, it's still a rich story that grows you know like i'm not necessarily a huge anime guy anymore but this is definitely one of the ones that I, I still sort
0: of hold on to and has a special place for me all right and jonathan what about your final thoughts on ghost in the Shell?
2: i have to say that ghost in the shell as a standalone movie is interesting with some issues uh, either with uh, the dialogue or with some of the pacing. like You could have made a really great two-hour movie, especially give more depth on certain characters that were just mentioned by name. But this is still a phenomenal touchstone of a film to it, to discuss such deep sci-fi ideals, especially at a time when people just wanted to see animated violence and sexual deviancy. I feel as if that there's a lot of things that you can even delve into which we've seen in later on in the in the different uh ghost in the shell media but also especially with in modern uh, western media like it's always been there and is still growing and I feel as if there's something new that you can find even if you've seen it 20 years ago or even almost 30 years ago the the fact that there's so many things out there i feel as if that you can actually hold on to something that you may not have even known especially about yourself when you actually watch this film you do your own self-examination even if you don't really think that you're some sort of cyborg that can do all this stuff there's still a lot of human themes that can still touch you
0: yeah i think this is a good example of what i like to call like an essential puzzle piece movie, because having not seen it before this point it can still like point at the Uh, scrolling green data, and stuff it's like, oh, it's very clear, The Matrix, and all this other stuff, like, you see how much influence this has had with, like, so many other things after it, but at the same time, that doesn't mean it doesn't feel fresh, or it doesn't feel engaging to some extent still, even if you're aware of those things, that's another big factor. If you're thinking, like, oh, it's just gonna be, like, The Matrix or whatever, but it's hand-drawn, and it's, like, four years earlier, not quite, it's just still this, like, really intriguing thing that clearly has its own influences uh, that uh, really made it you know what it is but at the same time like you can see why it was so impactful for like so many films that would come afterward um and it's also still just like a rollicking fun time that has a lot of deep contemplative questions it's kind of it's it's not necessarily my favorite anime movie but it's one i really deeply respect for its place in the culture and also just as like a really entertaining movie that is still able to ask Questions that we've been talking about, about like, where's the line between, you know, a physical body versus the soul, and can a soul be inside of, like, a machine, all this other stuff, all these big questions, all answered in a fun 82-minute package. But, uh, we got a whole other film to talk about in just a moment, but first, let's hear this ESO ad uh, for a show you can queue up right after hours.
1: Check out what's been going on with the Pop Culture Cosmos Show and the PCC Multiverse.
0: You know how Disney kind of like puts films on an assembly line, but you know that when you're getting something from Pixar because it takes so long to craft, that there's a lot of care put into it.
1: That's the Pop Culture Cosmos Show.
0: And the PCC Multiverse.
1: Playing worldwide on radio seven days a week, your favorite podcast app, and right here on the ESO Network.
0: Now let's get into our second feature, Pokemon. The first movie, Mewtwo Strikes Back. An unstoppable new enemy. We dreamed
1: of creating the world's strongest Pokemon, and we succeeded. Humans may have created me, but they will never enslave me.
0: The clone shall inherit the world.
1: You can't do this.
2: I won't let you.
0: The reign of Mewtwo. Will soon begin. So, Pokemon. Uh, Pokemon uh, is uh, weirdly one of the most successful media franchises of all time, right? If not the most, if I'm correct. It's gotta be right up there.
1: I mean, yeah, if it's not, it, it, it's got to be up
0: in the top three at least. This sort of came about what, like in like '96, it was first released in Japan as the video games, like red and green originally, right? Yeah, in Japan? It, it
2: was red and green were the original, and then they released a blue version, which was basically an update. And then around '98, that's when the anime came out in the US along with the games, and the rest is history.
0: Yep, create a big explosion, which I think Jonathan and I were more in the camp of like we were younger kids, so we really got into the hype of Pokemon, which if you're not familiar with somehow, because it's still like a big fucking thing to some extent, not as big in the States as it was like in the late 90s point, but it's basically just the story of at least in the anime, uh, Ash Ketchum, our main character, um, trying to become the very best like no one ever was, as quoted in the song. Um, of a Pokemon trainer, where he captures these Pokemon, which are several different styled creatures that uh, they end up using uh, to battle in tournaments uh, against other Pokemon trainers' Pokemon, and it's it's, it's dog fighting.
2: Yeah, pretty much. It, it, okay, yes. In a realistic world, it is dog fighting, but in this fantastical world where you can have 10-year-olds go off on a journey around the world to collect these creatures that have the power to burn down forests and warp reality. It's like, you gotta at least give it some slack.
0: That's true. It's more a place where, like, dogfighting would be nationally accepted, which we're not probably far off from. Who knows at this point? But we're specifically talking about the movie here, though I do want to gauge at least, like, Jonathan, was that sentiment earlier agreeable that you were sort of a kid who got into Pokemon when it first hit the states
2: yeah yeah I was in middle school once uh, Pokemon came up I did watch the uh the anime because at the time like we just couldn't afford all all the video games and all the card games it took until like maybe a year or so until we could actually get a copy of Red and then that just became an entire landslide of my brother and I buying the cards, getting yellow version, seeing uh, the first three movies in theaters and up until around when uh the third generation uh R- Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire came out, that was when we kind of petered off and that was I was in high school then and I kind of just left Pokemon and once I guess around uh like after college I just picked up I believe it was gen 5 for Black and white, and then I have just got back into it. But it was more like just for the games, because honestly, the show is still very kid centric. I feel as if even though Pokemon is not the gigantic monster it was in the uh, '90s and early 2000s, it's still strong. Cause... Excuse me, Koobites proper term is a pocket monster, sir. Okay, fine. I'll I'll be the super weep a uh, Pokato monsters. Oh no! Please don't. <laughs> yes, exactly. We're going to call him Pokemon.
0: But but no, I was in a similar boat, definitely, even though I'm slightly younger than you. I was definitely, like, when it hit, like, I remember myself and my um, sister, who's only a year younger than me, were both deeply into at least, like, that first generation. Like, we both had the Game Boys that would play. The for, the one I had was Yellow, because obviously Pikachu was the one that, like, they fucking marketed the shit out of. And I remember there was a point as a kid where my biggest, like, worry in life was, do I evolve my Pikachu in Pokemon Yellow? Because if I do that, he's not gonna follow me around like he does in the game. And if that happens, then what's the, even the fucking point of playing this? Because he follows me around, it's so cute! How could I do that to this thing? I can't evolve into a Raichu with a stone, or what the fuck ever. Um, and I'll say that the games, at least, I do agree, really still hold up. Is even, like, that original game, I didn't even play that much of the tournaments, honestly. I just loved exploring that world, and finding different Pokemon. And just either battling or capturing stuff, like, even in the woods. Which means I caught a lot of Ratatats. But Adam... You were a bit older. Um, Did any of this sink in for you when they came to the States in the late 90s?
1: Pokemon Stadium on Nintendo 64 was pretty cool.
0: (laughs) I had that game too. Yeah, it's
1: pretty cool. I agree. That's a really fun game. Pokemon Snap was actually pretty fun too. It's coming back, Adam. I know. What the fuck? Now it's like, all right, well, I'm going to get a Nintendo. But it's not for me. It's for my kid. Not for me. Not for me. Uh,
2: It's okay. You can say it. Don't worry. We won't judge you.
1: No, it's totally for me. Are you fucking kidding me? Jeez. Oh, uh, Can I, I play this no. Switch? No! Stop it! No. Get away from me! <laughs> I never wanted you. I wanted a Squirtle. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> I remember watching this movie in high school, like, my senior year in my Japanese class. Like, they just put this on. And I watched it, and I'm like, okay. That's the thing. I remember thinking, like, wow, Mewtwo's kind of a badass but that was it man like I, I i never really followed it as far as the games go like i said i played the nintendo 64 the two of them uh just cuz i went on a game collecting binge for nintendo 64 and i had like i don't know man 160 to 200 titles something like that yeah it, it never really landed for me this one either now it's kind of funny that you know my four soon to be five year old daughter knows and loves pikachu and she knows who some of the different pokemon's are and You know, she even has a Pokemon poster in her bedroom. She's got some of the toys. She loves Detective Pikachu. She watched this one with me today and loved it. She was even crying when Pikachu was trying to, like, revive Ash. I'm like, this is just fucking, the staying power of this is insane. Like, I get it. I get why kids would love this. Like, if I was a kid when this came out, I'd be fucking stoked on this. What isn't there to love? You know, you got kids collecting monsters and making them fight. I mean, it's totally fucking cool. It's it's really, really well done as far as placating to the young generation. But you know, like it's this to me is Pokemon is perfectly, perfectly harmless.
0: Um, I mean, what I like about Pokemon too, just when I was younger is that, like, really because of how diverse it is, because when it first came out, like, they, these come in waves of, like, 150 Pokemon per generation. Like, there's so many different distinctive designs that any kid could latch onto, really. Like, if you were somebody who was, like, more empathetic, you could go for, like, a plant-based Pokemon, or if you liked action, you could go for one that's a bit more, like, like one of the, like, Geodude, like the Rock ones, or Hitmonlee and Hitmonchan, who are literally, like, Boxer and, like, a guy who can kick around and shit. Or even just, like, if you're, like, a horror fan, like, I remember my favorite was, like, uh, ghost Pokemon, like uh, Ghastly and all them. Yeah, I was like really intrigued by like, oh, that's so cool. They're like weird horror-based ones.
1: No, 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 hold on, man. If it ain't Psyduck, it ain't worth it. Well,
0: that's true. Psyduck is king, really. Psyduck's the the best. Uh, (laughs) The way he just holds his head to his hands, like, we're all Psyduck. We all have aged into being Psyduck.
1: Anxiety is his superpower. Like, I I internalize that so much.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I, I felt, I guess, as a kid, Psyduck was annoying cuz it he needed that prep to actually do anything. But yeah, he just needs That's all that stress and then enough. he will kick ass. It's it's beautiful.
0: Right. But now to instead of just talking about the fad, we should talk about the first movie, which, you know, a bit presumptive to say like oh no, we're the first movie. This is going to like keep on going, but it did cuz there are 23 Pokemon movies now that released in theaters, including one of them recently released just earlier this year, uh, Pokemon Mewtwo Strikes Back-Evolution, is a CG remake of this movie. Like, that's how long-lasting this is that we're remaking this fucking movie now in the continuity of the series.
2: It's been 20 years. That seems to be the, the limit. Well, but Adam, what are your
0: general thoughts on specifically Pokemon the first movie?
2: Okay,
1: so off mic he told me hey watch uh, this version of it because uh, it has like the first 20 minutes is something that wasn't in the original cut so I'd never seen it before and I like okay we'll try that I'll put it on so I watched it and the first 20 minutes are fucking depressing and harrowing and the best part of the movie it's <laughs> Mew's fucking backstory that involved the scientist creating created him and his dead daughter and her stream of consciousness and Oh, and, and his wife leaving him, too, because he can't get over the death of his daughter. So, you know, that's that's all in the beginning. And i got to be honest. Like, look, I picked this for the bad one, but I watched this with my kid, and I had a blast. Like, she really enjoyed it. So now if I watch this by myself, nah fuck i i would have been doing eight million other things but sitting there with a you know a five year old and she's just asking questions nonstop. is that is that the nurse that is the nurse why is the nurse there why is there so many of the nurses oh wait is is pikachu the pikachu's a good one wait so the white one's the baby good one and then the gray one with the purple tail's the bad one Yes, honey. I, I'm My, sure all those
0: questions that were in the, during the first 20 minutes were very fun and not at all like deep oh depressing.
1: Daddy, what happened to that one girl? She didn't know that part. Thank God, that part is so adult. She didn't understand what the hell was going on. And mm-hmm. when she would ask, like, "What's happening?" I would be like, "I don't know. I don't know." <laughs> good, don't good know. strategy,
0: good response.
1: Yeah, I have no idea. It's okay. like a, she's like a soul, and she's a dead girl probably a little bit older than you, but not by much. And she died. <laughs> like you know, her daddy wants to keep her alive. How does that make you feel? <laughs> but, uh, you know, so it was kind of, kind of nice watching it with somebody who's not necessarily the target demographic. I think she's still a little too young, but she, she's absolutely blown away by just the excitement of it and the fr- frantic nature of it. Like, I I enjoyed watching this
0: more than I did Ghost with some Michelle, I gotta be honest. Well, I what mean, a strange turn of events.
2: Yeah, to for better context for everyone, that, that first 20 minutes of uh, Baby Mewtwo with the scientist's daughter and also clones of Charmander, Bulbasaur, and Squirtle who all die and Mewtwo yep. freaks out. Like, that was not... Even the original Japanese release, that was actually a special that was added into... Uh, TV releases of the first movie, and then it was integrated into the final complete uh, full version. It it wasn't until the first home video release where we only got the first scene where the scientists are in the jungle and they find the fossil. We don't even get the actual full uh, origin until later DVD releases of the first movie, and actually 4Kids only released it in the TV special sequel, uh, Mewtwo Returns. So... Even the best part that we're talking about of this movie was not seen by most American audiences for at least three years since the first movie came out.
0: No, yeah, full disclosure. Like, I saw this as a kid in the theater, the American version. In that version, I can remember even feeling like the Mewtwo story, like his origin that sort of started the movie, was very, like, weirdly paced. Because it has some of that stuff where he's with, like, the initial scientist, and then he breaks out, and then he gets hired by this guy who's trying to make him into a weapon and all this other stuff. It's a lot more truncated in that version, and this was the first time I had seen, like, that full extended version of it, and I was just like, oh, wait, what? Like, I was going into this, like, oh, I know this movie. Whatever, I had this on VHS. I'll be fine. What? Oh. (laughs) Like, I, I knew that was a thing. Like, there was some stuff cut, but I did not know like, to the level of how, like, kind of weird and upsetting and disturbing it is, but I agree with that. It's so interesting. Like, that first 20 minute segment, is a phenomenal short film about, like, a creature that's cloned, questioning a lot of the same things, even from Ghosts in the Shell, of like, what's my purpose in life, and how do I keep functioning? Um, and even in the dubbed version that I saw of it, it's just like, oh my god, this is so interesting and complex. And, like, the biggest trouble is the moment we get the characters that like, kids knew and loved of, like, Ash, Misty, Brock, that's really where the movie takes a nosedive. Because <laughs> it's just like, ugh, oh, these fucking kids and their bullshit. <laughs> Who cares?
2: Yeah, honestly, there are also parts, not only what was cut, but the original script is so messed up. Mewtwo is far more ambiguous about his motivations. He's not some evil Pokemon wanting to take over the world and kill all humans and populate it with clones. He's questioning the fact, is Mew my parent? And the scientists were kind of more vague on like, yes and no, because cloning and stuff? Like, Does that mean that I'm a child of God? It's like, uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> so, you get this idea that Mewtwo is, even though it's like a seven foot tall psychic cat monster, it's still asking questions that a child would ask. And just like a child who doesn't liking the answers it gets, it goes to a tantrum. The problem is, with the powers it has, it can completely destroy an island. And... I at least enjoyed the fact that, with even with the weird script, that Philip Bartlett is trying really well to convey Mewtwo's inner strife, even if half the time the script is pretty much, I want to destroy the humans. But he's at least still has that kind of questioning idea. Like, the whole idea of his storm, it's not going to destroy the world. It's just, it was a test for the humans to bring strong Pokemon forward to see if if if, uh, if strong originals versus stronger clones is really the way to go, because that's the only thing he's been taught from mm-hmm. Giovanni, the leader of Team Rocket. Like, he put him in armor to fight Pokemon, and it really showed that he was questioning himself because he doesn't understand. He's still just still fighting and destroying. Like, what is the purpose in that?
0: And I do also agree with what you're talking about with uh, Philip Bartlett. I think most of the dub cast is, like, the epitome of what adam was talking about earlier with bad dubbing but philip bartlett is the standard of the dub cast because he like gives that gravitas and menace that's there but also especially in this version you get a bit more of like his earnestness and his kind of weird gray morality I, I, i'm right there with you once it gets to
1: like brock and ash and missy on the beach and you know ash like i'm hungry i can't do anything i can't work and blah 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 blah, blah, blah. excuse me
0: that's not his dialogue it is i want to catch a pokemon because that, that's oh, all gosh, of Ash's that, dialogue. That, oh, seeing... Pokemon! Oh, oh! <laughs> I'm fine doing a battle. Come on, Pikachu! Use Thunderbolt!
2: <laughs> oh, at well,
0: least Ash Ketchum is here in the studio.
1: Come on, battle me! Okay, oh! Yeah, you know, it, it does. It takes a nosedive into really, really cheesy kid movie territory. But the thing about this one, the, there is a lot of dark shit in this movie. Like I, like I said, the scene ash turns into fucking stone and pikachu's trying to wake him up and you're like you think he's dead and i mean mewtwo is he's having a horrible accidental, violent crisis uh, I mean, he kills indiscriminately he blows up islands with you know people are po- on it populating it. it it there's some pretty heavy shit and, and all movies. the pokemon they are respect- fighting
0: each other when set to the greatest song on the soundtrack brother my brother <laughs>
1: Oh, God, I hate that so much. Some kids might be like, what the fuck is going on? And how do you explain a God-complexed creature that was created in a lab that doesn't know where it belongs, doesn't know what it wants, the only only sort of rationale it knows is to conquer and kill? Yeah, that's a little bit heavy, but I I can't hate this movie because it does have all the fucking bells and whistles to it. Like, I get why kids like this. I get why this movie lasts. I get why it was huge when it came out. Like, I completely understand. Now, I cannot relate to any of it. Like, I'm watching it, and my kid's like, so who's that one? I have no fucking clue. (laughs) Who's this Pokemon? I have no fucking idea. Well, I wasn't saying fucking to her, because that's awful, but I have no idea. Like, oh, are they going to fight now? Probably, maybe. I don't know. I think that's what happens in this. Like, But still... Watching it with somebody who it's geared for, I'm telling you, it changes the changes my idea of this movie, because you just see just pure excitement and just it hits every note it's going for. It's boring for us, but we're adult men. We're not little kids, you know. And it's so of course it's not going to sort of translate well
0: for us. Well, and plus, I, f- I would also argue it's sort of interesting, like with Jonathan and I's perspective, because this is one of those like a bunch of people around our age nostalgically like really tie to
1: that's crazy we've talked about that before that's crazy just because you remember liking something doesn't mean it's still good
2: right we're not denying yeah. that i i think the biggest thing is that influence really has affected pokemon even to this day thanks to us making jokes about the localization like brock's jelly donuts when there were rice balls right it's still pervasive even though it's 20 years later, we should be getting things that are actually more faithful to the original because we still have the goofy four kids version if we want to go for that. But but now Pokemon has evolved. Pokemon is no longer under four kids for, I think it has been at least 10 years now. And like, they've recast Ash and everyone and have that kind of feel, but they still have that influence where they screw over and add these weird four kids-isms that while might be nostalgic for people like me, I'm looking at it as a, as a fact as an anime fan, it's 2020. When you have a, a dub, you should have a faithful adaptation that actually conveys what the original story is and not just try to uh, winking to the camera because you like the silly thing that happened in something that, that should not have been there in the beginning. Like, And I feel like the problem is we should let it go because younger kids who watch this who are watching better dubs of these newer series of Pokemon, should actually get the real story. Because like even if they don't understand the heavier thoughts, at least they'll stick with them so that once they become our age, they realize what the bigger themes that they were trying to get in the original Japanese version.
0: I mean, I completely agree with that. This is like mostly harmless, I really agree, but it's really the egregiousness of, I know this big thing was, like, even as a kid, I was really confused by what it was, like, trying to send to me about all the Pokémon are fighting, and we have all the various different uh, trainers and various different human characters off to the side saying, like, oh, I can't believe they're fighting. Not like this, all this other stuff. Even as a kid, I'm just like, but isn't that the point of what we like Pokémon? They fight? I don't get where the contradiction is. And I know that's not in the Japanese version. That was, like, something that they completely put in here that just feels like, okay, this feels like it's sending weird mixed messages, especially to, like, a younger viewer where it's just like, wait, so now we're not against fighting, even though the whole point of your franchise is that we do fight, and I think that's a big thing of, like, I, why nostalgia can be, like, it's fun, but it also can be kind of, like, more poisonous in terms of just, like, if we don't, like, kind of have this as a fun curio and also have these other versions available, then we just kind of feel like we're doing a disservice to this story, even if it's... Fucking Pokemon, so should be like at least what the creators actually intended at this point. Like we're we should be past bullshit dubs, really. Yeah,
2: exactly.
1: Well, I don't disagree with either of you, but the fact of the matter is, it, the the bastardization of material for children has been happening since well before my time either. People you know, people who mass market these things for children think children are fucking stupid. Let's put it this way. People who make this for kids, especially in America who take the Japanese version and make it for for American kids, they don't give a shit, man. It's a paycheck for them. I agree with you that's sad and it shouldn't be that way, but unfortunately that's what it is. But as I was saying earlier, I still think they do hit the mark with as much as I hate to say it, kids love fucking colors and fighting and action and all that. And that, that's what this does and still does well.
2: The sentiment they were trying to get at with the Pokemon fighting was that since they're the same, they're still living living beings. And even Nurse Joy points out that these li- living animals are fighting. And they'll fight to keep they'll keep going to protect their territory. And they'll keep going until they go into exhaustion, which we clearly see. The problem with putting in the fighting is wrong, not only being hypocritical, it also kind of breaks down the whole point of Mewtwo is fighting for strength. He is trying to understand his own strength against Mew because that's the only thing he understands. The intention of having a human stopping Mewtwo and Mew's fight and being encased in stone should have been a breaking point where not only Mewtwo, because he should have seen also his clones and the originals. They're just crying in pain, not just because of the, because they have exhausted themselves of a ridiculous fight that he's trying to go against with his original, which is just a sprite fairy. Mew doesn't care. Mew is just fine because it's fun, but Mewtwo is trying to understand itself. And that should have been the point for him to actually just stop. I still could not find any reasoning behind what happens with the, why the Pokemon Tears was the idea to uh, to revive Ash. Because uh, yeah, there is no reference to this. No, but there is a yeah. bit in the original. In the right. original, there was no reference to Pokemon Tears doing anything like this. This is all from poor kids.
0: Right, in the original cut that was released out there, yeah. Even as a kid, I'm just like, that's weird. Why are the tears bringing him back to life? But in the um, prologue that we talked about with Mewtwo, the little girl who dies horribly um, brings up at one point, about like, my daddy told me that Pokemon, when they cry, they have uh, tears full of life, and it's so great that you have life.
2: Anyway, bye! (laughs) And then dies. It's great, wonderful. If I did not watch this movie as a kid, I would honestly think that the solution would have been Mewtwo using his powers instead of for destruction— for life, to actually revive Ash himself. Because this human who cares about clones that aren't even even clones of his own Pokemon wanted to stop this senseless bout of violence that does not make any sense for everyone. Right, I mean, and I think just the bigger thing is, like, we're not
0: necessarily saying, like, oh, this Pokemon, the first movie that, like, we saw, like, this this dubbed bad version doesn't need to exist. Like, we're not saying that necessarily. It's just more that we can have the ready availability of some of these, like, deeper, interesting things so that people can, like, watch either one. I would definitely agree because it's, like, it's, what, it's, like, non-existent, really, no legal version that you can watch the subtitled way, right?
2: Yeah, even with uh, the Evolution movie on Netflix, there's the Japanese track but the only English subtitles are for the dub. The idea that you can't even get the full story in any way in the U.S. is still shocking.
0: Right, yeah, it's kind of like a Star Wars special edition situation. But um, we've been going a lot (laughs) on Pokemon, so let's just do some quick wrap-up. Adam, do you have any final thoughts beyond your kid likes (laughs) it? I
1: mean, no. (laughs) The first first 20 minutes were really uh,
0: surprising.
1: But, uh, no, I mean, it's Pokemon, dude. I, I don't see it, you know, being maybe a layman to the uh, franchise as a whole. To me, this is exactly what I would expect if I watched Pokemon. So, I mean, it is what it is it Exists. I don't think it's the worst thing I've ever seen. It's definitely not the best. But uh, if my kid wanted to watch it again, I
0: would probably put it on and then fuck around on my phone. It's like top tier of, like, the bad moves we talked about on the show. <laughs> you think so? I don't think so well i mean not in terms of, okay we're removing like funny bad things or genuinely good movies we just want to talk about for the bad movie i'm dumb in terms of movies that are not good it's one of the better ones we've talked about on the show oh
1: yeah yeah yes i agree yes I, okay that's a good way to put it out of all the shit fucking garbage we've talked about for over two years this is just shit garbage
0: the fucking's not there right the fucking is <laughs> not i concur yes um yeah but do you have any quick final thoughts about pokemon the first movie <laughs>
2: To be honest, this is part of my nostalgia and I still am critical about it. I feel like that's probably the thing that you should look at. Even things that you love as a kid, if you rewatch it as an adult and examine it, you don't have to hate it. You can still enjoy those memories, but at least be mindful of what is the actual theme of the story and see if it actually did affect you. Because I may not consider it as like a cornerstone memory of how it changed my personality or anything, but Pokemon is still a part of my life for these past 20-odd years. Even if I go in and out of it and Mewtwo Strikes Back is still stuck in my mind. Like, I will always remember uh, the wide panning shot of the lead scientist uh, talking to Mewtwo and you see the magnified images of the scientists in Mewtwo in the foreground in the tubes. That shot is still beautiful and I've never seen anything like that in Pokemon ever since then like there are still some things that are good about it but the things that we that are within that actual script that still are pervasive even in the remake that you have to be more mindful of what you like and what is it actually conveying to the actual target audience because kids do absorb the information they see even if they don't consciously understand it
0: but but Jonathan, something that I watch as a kid can either be the best thing or the worst thing ever. We can't have complex thoughts about these things. You'd go to the internet jail now. How dare you say such a thing?
2: Uh, all right, all right. Bye, bye, guys.
0: <laughs> well, um, I mean, I, I agree with a lot of what Jonathan said. I'll say, like, this is still, like, a fun, like, thing to go back to since I hadn't seen in a while. I also, like, we didn't even talk about, but I also watched the Pikachu's Vacation, which was, like, the short film, came out with this, basically, and I remember that so vividly, like, especially all the weird transition scenes with the Pokemon like, the oh, where, yeah. like, bold, like, Bellsprout, like Bellsprout, Bellsprout. Like, all that weird shit, like, psychedelic, like, transitions that happen. That's the main reason I know, like, those f- ten Pokemon's names still to the stakes that got stuck in my fucking head. And there's, like, a lot of fun moments like that in the actual movie. Like, we didn't talk about Team Rocket that much, but, like, all the bullshits of, like, the Minnesota Vikings joke. Or, oh, yes. Um, or th- their weird Rosencrantz and Guildenstern adventure they're having with all the cloned Pokemon. And, of course, Meowth's weird thing where he can talk and he speaks in a Brooklyn accent for some reason, because sure.
2: It's because I in the original... Uh, no, I, I, I know, like, he, he was trying
0: to impress, like, a Pokemon or whatever. I saw the anime, too, Jonathan.
2: Yeah, all right. I, I was talking <laughs> about the weird accent, because that was also in the Japanese version. They had yeah. Meowth have a weird accent. Also- right,
0: right. I still well watch this, like, well, I remember a lot of, like, fun things about this, but also you can question, like, what exactly they're doing with the dub, but also appreciate certain things, like, especially if you've never seen, like, that prologue with Mewtwo and its full version i would definitely agree that it's like the best part of this whole movie but yeah i can also see like i i get why it worked on your kid adam because i was probably around her same age when i saw this and i remember loving the shit out of it but at the same time like we can you know explore it from a mature perspective and have like some interesting thoughts there i'd also recommend honestly um i watched a couple of like the earlier pokemon movies with like jonathan and some other friends um a few years ago the third one i think is the best one the one with the weird, like, Lion-Dragon thing? and like Oh, uh, Entei. Uh, yeah, yeah. Entei. Yeah, yeah.
2: Pokemon right. 3. The, I think it was... The, it's either the Mystery of the Unknown or Legend of Unknown. Right, with the it's Unknown Pokemon. While.
0: I would say that's the best of at least these three. And if nothing uh, yeah, else, yeah, also... No. I, I would say this is much better than Pokemon 2000, <laughs> which would come out after this. Oh. And that oh, one's yeah. just, like, boring as fuck. <laughs> but, but, it's enough fucking Pokemon. I'm done. We're done talking about Pokemon right now. Because we got some feedback to read from everybody here Um, every uh, Monday at Dedb Pod on Facebook and Twitter. We ask all of you, like, hey, what are your favorite things related to whatever topic we're doing? We got a lot of feedback. And full disclosure, everybody who submitted feedback, we really appreciate it. And we really love that you guys, like, especially wrote really long pieces about, like, your love of anime and what you like and dislike. But I edited some of these down because some of you guys wrote fucking essays. And I appreciate it. So, um, some truncated feedback in here including from uh, James Rodriguez, who says, um, Your name is more than just an anime take on Freaky Friday. It's a beautiful story in its own right. Uh, Perfect Blue is an exemplary uh, psychological thriller, which blurs the line between fantasy and reality. Uh, The Red Turtle is a beautiful tale about toneliness, uh, working well with a muted style. Akira is an explosive, inventive film that's visually stunning and emotional amongst the chaos. Um, As lifelong Pokemon fans say the first two movies hold up pretty well. The directed video sequel to the first film, YouTube Returns, is unnecessary. Then there's." Mewtwo Strikes Back Evolution, a CGI remake of the first film that's the Pokey equivalent of the 2019 Lion King remake. Scott Johnson says, uh, best Summer Wars, uh, Night is Short, Walk On Girl, um, In This Corner of the World, Pokemon and Tokyo Godfathers are some of my favorites. Um, Worst, I don't think there's too many, like, anime movies these days that seem to be bad, just overrated or underwhelming. A few examples I can think of were when Marnie was there, Flavors of Youth and the Red Turtle, which are just super boring. Uh, Ryan Corderman says, Neon Genesis, Evangelion, the end the, the end of Evangelion. Um, Marcus Wool Turner... Sorry. What? Oh, you fucking nerd. <laughs> what <laughs> am I talking about? I invite you on the show. This is my fault. Um, Mar... Marcus Wool Turner says, I mean, there's tons upon tons of artistic, fantastic, all-around brilliant anime films. Classics like Akira, Ghost in the Shell, Ninja Scroll, Dagger of Kumol... Uh, Vampire D, Grave of the Fireflies, Perfect Blue, and pretty much anything by Hayao Miyazaki, Studio Ghibli. As far as awful anime films, I can't really say I've seen any actual bad ones. I mean, there's been a few that are downright boring, like From Up on Poppy Hill, The Wings of Onomisei, Or uh, the films uh, that are very much a product of their time, like Barefoot Gin, or the ones that lost lost the time, like Spergaro or Appleseed. Um, Those weren't inherently bad, but they just didn't have the lasting power of so many others I've listed, uh, which in anime circles is kind of like a kiss of death. Uh, Brian Kane says, The film trilogy adaptation of Berserk is edgy dark fantasy epic uh, that's worth your time if you um, can get past a few of the genre trappings. A silent voice is an uneven but incredibly effective tearjerker about social isolation and personal redemption. With Cowboy Bebop perhaps being the sole exception, any anime film uh, that's a spinoff of a TV show, a TV series, practically is guaranteed to be a soulless cash-in. Uh, Megan Cannell says I don't know much about anime either uh, but I'll offer my opinion of my favorite films which are Cowboy Bebop and Akira Rich Carazels says depends on what you're looking for the anime market is comparable in scope not in size to Hollywood films encompassing every genre 40 years-ish of anime development uh, leaves a large library to choose from Cult Classic, Akira, Family Friendly uh, most of the stuff from Studio Ghibli uh, something newer, uh, Gats O uh, Paul Cardulo says uh, My Neighbor Totoro Alison Boges uh, says, Summer Wars is one of my favorites of all time. Also, uh, love The Girl Who Left Through Time. And a movie that just came out, uh, Promare, is uh, the most Triggery Trigger movie ever made. Trigger is the studio that brought you Gurren Logan* and Kill a Kill, amongst some others. Uh, Josh Schumacher says, uh, Favorites, Liz and the Blue Bird, Princess Mononoke, Spirited Away, The Wind Rises, 5 centimeters per second. Least favorite? I actually don't think I've seen one that I don't love. Maybe The Secret World of Arrietty. Amber Davidson says, Kiki's Delivery Service is one of my favorite anime movies because it's such a simple story that Solomon manages to capture the spirit. Hayao Miyazaki does best, uh, which is building characters that we can relate to in fantastical settings. Kiki may be a witch in training, but her everyday struggles to fit in to her temporary environment um, and the obstacles that she overcomes is relevant to so many people trying to start a new chapter in their life. And Aaron Chung says, uh, I'm going to avoid talking about Studio Ghibli movies since that's the usual go-to for Japanese animated movies. That being said, though, Spirited Away is one of my favorite films. Uh, but uh, recently I loved Mirai and A Silent Voice. I also revisited Perfect Blue and Tokyo Godfathers and be ashamed to not mention Satoshi Kon when it comes to the Japanese animation uh, medium. He has such a distinctive style and masterfully uses visuals to create a disorienting yet all-too-familiar world. And as for franchises, I still have a fond place for the original Fullmetal Alchemist movie, when the main characters were battling Nazis, shame it ended on the unresolved cliffhanger. Now, for least favorites, back in college I saw Ninja Scroll because people kept bringing it up as a timeless action classic. Maybe when it was released it felt fresh, but I don't agree that it holds up very well. It's mindless gore and uses shock factor way too much. Oh, and I found it best to keep the classic Pokemon movies as a childhood memory. Watching them again, not so great. Oh, phew. You guys talk.
1: <laughs> I got like two things, and then I got nothing. Maybe yes. three. So I'm gonna let Jonathan. I'm gonna let you do your your tirade right here. I still love Ninja Scroll. I think it still holds up as fun, violent anime. I think it's one of the best examples of that subgenre of anime. I absolutely am still in love with Akira. I think it's uh, sci-fi anime, basic perfection. And Spirited Away is also one of my favorite movies of all time. Jonathan, go. <laughs> all
2: right. Okay. Hayao Miyazaki is a great director, but I feel like uh, the other greats that are in Studio Ghibli that people tend to forget, especially, is Takahata. Uh, with various films, especially the, uh, like the last main Ghibli film uh, that was released, uh, uh, The Tale of Princess Kaguya, which was beautiful, I feel like people should actually check that out. If there are other Studio Ghibli films that you missed, get HBO Max. Go through, and there are probably some that you miss. Like Pom is a comedy involving uh, uh, transforming tanuki or raccoon dogs. Like it is, it is fun and goofy. It's, there's a lot of different things. The only bad Ghibli movie I can think of is Tale of Earth, Sea, which was directed by Hayao Miyazaki's son Gorō, and critics disliked it. And Miyazaki himself has been very adamant about how he disliked it. He. Thinks his son should not be in animation anymore. He's that much of a curmudgeon.
0: <laughs> Great dude. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. The, the yeah. thing is, we may do, if we ever do anime again, we would probably do like a Ghibli or Hayao Miyazaki related thing, because we could do a whole episode on oh, that yeah. for sure. Yeah, there's exactly. a lot to talk about. Though I will say, I think my the underrated MVP of a lot of those, because uh, I went through his all Miyazaki's movies in particular last year, um, I love Porco Rosso, and that does not get enough credit. I think Porco Rosso is such a fun vibrant, cool, like World War One story, but with this cool anime edge of like, oh, he's a pig dude. He has a pig face. It's such a fun movie. And then in terms of even stuff that Mizaki didn't direct, um, Whisper from the Heart, is that Ghibli right? Yeah, that's Ghibli. I loved Whisper from the Heart. That's one of my favorite like slice of life anime movies, for sure.
2: I yeah, I forget who was the director because it's like that was like That and the Cat Returns, which is like a sorta sequel, sort of spin off of Whisper of the Heart that they only did those two movies, and that's it, because it really is like Miyazaki and, and Takahata. Uh, I see a lot of stuff from Mamoru Hosoda being mentioned in the recommendations Summer Wars, uh, The Girl Left Through Time, Mirai. I honestly feel like if you have not checked out Mamoru Hosoda's stuff, they're good films, a lot of okay films as well, but. I feel like he is an up and coming person.
0: While you're on that, I actually, for,
2: as part of like research for
0: the show, I watched a lot of his movies, and I do agree. Like, I like Girl Who Leapt Through Time and Mirai, but my favorite that like I was like just watching before the show and like balling over was Wolf Children. Which, if you don't know, is literally the story of, like, this woman who ends up falling in love with a guy who can transform into a wolf. And I was like, oh, what's this? Some, like, furry bullshit? And then by the end of that movie, I'm just like, oh, this is
2: so beautiful. I can't believe it.
0: <laughs> it's such a great fucking movie. That And also, I also liked uh, Boy and the Beast.
2: Okay, see, that's the one that I would say is the most middling of them all for okay. Hosoda. Because like, it really felt, it was a lot of exposition in the beginning. And then... They it, there's not much development of the sudden villain turn of one character. You guys at least agree on that, Thomas.
0: No, I, I do agree with that, but I actually really dug a lot of the setup stuff. Particularly, I love the titular relationship between the like surrogate father of the boy and the beast. I, I love
2: that back and forth. Motoko Shinkai, the director of Your Name, he, he has also directed uh, Five Centimeters Per Second. I feel like if there is one thing that uh, Shinkai can do well is... Beautiful backgrounds. It is so picturesque. If you have already seen those main two, look up Children Who Chase Lost Voices. It's like a lost Ghibli film of a girl and a man going into a strange world and dealing with some really fantastical stuff with with dealing with saying farewell and dealing with life and death. It's just great. And of course, I can talk about Shitoshi Kon, who is my favorite director if you've only seen Perfect Blue or Paprika, which again, like those are the, the two ends, the beginning and the end of his career since he passed uh, in 2011. Like those people bring that up. There's a lot of great stuff that he's done in between, like Tokyo Godfathers, which is a great Christmas movie mm-hmm. involving it, that you should definitely see. But I feel like the one that I feel like even works even better that does not have to deal with all the weird dark stuff that usually involves with Satoshi Kon's work is Millennium Actress. It's just a beautiful story of a veteran actress going through her career and dealing with this unrequited love while using the stories of her films to actually make a meta story with these interviewers. It's just phenomenal.
0: Yeah, if you want to definitely see sort of, like, the range of anime film, I would definitely second the Satoshi Kon recommendation. It's such a bummer that dude died, because he only made four features, and those four features are so good. Like, even, I, I think William Actress is, is maybe my least favorite, but it's still, like, way better than most other bullshit you would get out there. And it's so different where it's, like, Perfect Blue is a fucked-up psychological drama, Tokyo Godfathers is, like, a cute character-based comedy... And then like a paprika is like this intense, weird sci-fi drama. And then like a millennium actress is this like interesting, almost like mystery slash like drama movie. That dude was so incredibly talented. Such a bummer that dude passed away.
2: And he died so young. He was in his 40s. Like it's insane. Make sure you go to your doctor and check for all types of cancer. This seems to be getting all of our greats now. One last recommendation, because especially since this is on Netflix and you can watch it, Masuki Yuasa's Lou Over the Wall. It is this beautiful musical tale of a boy meeting up with a mermaid, and it's just phenomenal takes on mermaid lore and actually Tex Avery-like animation with these musical sequences, because whenever the mermaid girl emerges, music just starts playing out it anywhere, and people just start magically dancing. It is beautiful. Yuasa uh, does some very weird trippy type of animation so he's like uh the wild card out of all these great directors that are out now that he's done a bit more uh uh series like i know Devilman man cry on netflix and uh he did another one about it's japan sinks do he's always trying new and interesting things even in film and on television and you should definitely check him out, because he is definitely on the rise.
0: Yeah, the only other thing I'm going to add is um, Ninja Scroll was my alternative pick, and I did watch it because it's on Hulu currently. Um, I kind of second Aaron. Not a big fan of it. I think it sort of feels like the opposite of what I was talking about with Ghost in the Shell, where it feels like it's too much about just like, oh, how fucked up are we? We can have, like, all this, like, not just the violence stuff, which I think is, like, kind of fun initially, but kind of gets old after a certain point, but the sexual assault stuff feels very much like oh yeah the cartoons can do this now we're badass it's like no it feels like you're just doing a really like fucked up thing just for the sake of it and then also to have a really fucked up turn with that character that i was not a fan of whatsoever not a fan
1: well that's like your opinion man
0: that's very Um, true
1: (laughs) no i also want to throw in I, i do want to throw one recommendation out there i do really like slayers uh it's episodic show uh i've only seen the first i think season but i had them all on vhs and it was super fun it's really good
0: well thank you all for all of that feedback and we also want to thank some other people like chris oliver for the intro and outro music used in our show listen more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com thanks to emily scarda for the art for our show and thanks to our loyal supporters on patreon where just for a dollar a month You have access to bonus episodes that we do once a month, and also polls where you can pick either topics we do or individual movies we cover for the show. And it's just one dollar a month, and we appreciate all of you for contributing, including our own guest, Jonathan. Thank you for being a loyal patron, sir.
2: I've always helped my friends who give out great content, and you should definitely check out at least uh, the Star Wars Last Jedi commentary. It is actually fun, even if you have... Strong negative feelings about that film.
1: Well, thank you, Jonathan. I appreciate that too. Yes, more than Thomas.
0: I appreciate <laughs> more. <him working.
2: laughs> you appreciate my money and my opinion. <laughs>
0: yep, way more than Thomas. <laughs> uh, well, we do appreciate you being a guest on the show. Thank you for bringing your intense knowledge here, sir. Plug yourself. uh Where can people find you, especially on your Twitter account? That makes you perfect for this episode. <laughs>
2: Yes, yes. Uh, if, uh, even though I've never talked about it before, but Black Gendo at B L A C K underscore G E N D O is a reference to Neon Genesis Evangelion. So shout out to Ryan Cordeman. Yeah. End of Ava. Mm-hmm. But yeah, <laughs> or you can find <laughs> you can find me on uh, on Facebook, uh, Jonathan. It's Jonathan, but with a Y. Abd Mikhail, H A B as in Boy, T as in Tower, E as in Edward, Michael, all together is one last name. And yeah, that's it. Uh, I don't I don't have a YouTube yet. I'm thinking of uh, doing some anime related content in the future, but pandemic happened and I'm not in a good mental state for that kind of stuff to add on to my usual uh, schedule.
0: Well, despite the awful, horrible things happening in the world, you can follow us and our crazy antics at (laughs) (laughs) D-E-D-B-Pod on Facebook and Twitter at D-E-D-B-Pod. Or you can email us, double bill all spelled out, at gmail.com for submitting feedback and stuff. Um, And uh, you can find me at NotTheWho'sTommy on Twitter and Instagram. And I also do some writing, com. And uh, Adam, you can find, um, I guess, uh, just train his daughter to be the very best like no one ever was, right? Yep, for sure. I
1: don't know. I got nothing on this.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you want at least more nothing, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms. And, you know, if you're on the ESO Network, uh, where we've been posting for a while, and uh, we've been on there for over a year now, and it's been a great source of all sorts of fun, and we definitely love um, all of you that have... Glommed onto us from there, uh, but if you haven't listened to the first several episodes we did before we joined ESO, you can go over on our Podbean feed, where all those episodes are available, and if nothing else, if you could just simply rate, review, or share us around via those platforms to other people, we would greatly appreciate it.
1: Yeah, it's pretty simple. I mean, you know. Come on, guys. Come on.
0: Just do it! <laughs> but... You know what we gotta do now, before we finally end this episode, is uh, do our picking for next week, and you know what? We're gonna stick with the non-English-speaking cinema in general, because uh, over on Patreon, as I mentioned, uh, people like Jonathan and all the other patrons voted for uh, a topic, foreign cinema we haven't done yet, because we've done Japan a couple times now with this anime episode, and we decided, like, hmm, either you guys can vote on cinema from France, or the ultimate winner, cinema from Spain, which will be our topic next week. Which I was very pleasantly surprised ended up winning. I would have expected France, but who knew?
1: I, I one thousand percent expected France, but I, I'm actually really good with Spain.
2: I personally voted for Spain because, yeah, it's always old to hat to pick a French film.
1: Oh uh, well, now we know why. I guess. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: well, uh, François Truffaut, fuck yourself, evidently. Quote Jonathan Haber McHale, but. It's uh, time to do the picking, and Adam and I, eat, like I mentioned at the beginning, uh, two movies of various different qualities. Adam has two good movies for this topic, I have two bad. And uh, we've signed each of those number between 1 and 10 uh, for a distinctive moniker. And usually, each of us would pick a number between 1 and 10 to get us closer to the good and bad pick. When we have a guest like Jonathan, they get to choose the number. So, Jonathan, choose a number for his good
2: picks. Let's go with number seven.
1: Okay, just to uh, preface here, both of my picks turned out to be from the same director, uh, Pedro Almodovar, uh, because I, you know, he's very, very prolific, and it happens to be two that I've seen that I really like. Uh, It was not intentional, but anyways, at number eight, I have the Antonio Banderas starring The Skin I
0: Live In. Oh, okay, that's one I've seen. I'm very excited. That's
1: a movie. It's something. <laughs> it's a it's a hardcore one. Uh at number one I had uh Penelope Cruz's Bulver. Hmm. Which is also quite a good movie.
0: Alright, yeah. We'll definitely be getting into the Almodovar, of it. I'll very curious to revisit that one. See how it holds up still. But now for my two bad picks, Jonathan. All right, let's go with
2: the I choose number three.
0: Okay. I'm really excited about this, because this was honestly a late pick I didn't even know was originally Spanish, because I've seen this movie before in some form. Um, At number two, I have a movie that, in its native Spain, was originally, roughly translated, called Extraterrestrial Visitors, but I think most people would know it under its title when it premiered on a great show called Mystery Science Theater 3000 as Pod People.
1: Oh, Oh, Fuck's sake! Oh boy! All right. Well, strangely, this is also what I've seen. That is a atrocious. All right. All right.
0: Would uh, you say it stinks? Yes. <laughs> yes, confirmed. Um, and then on the opposite side, at number seven, I had Automata, which is another one starring Antonio Banderas. It's apparently a kind of bland sci-fi movie. I think it's pronounced automata, but yeah, that, automata. That's, no, no, hey, no, of no, course. You yeah, that's, that's a good no, point. That's yeah. fine, that's fine. It's a bummer that we yeah. haven't mispronounced anything before this, and I just fucked no, it up no, no, there.
1: No, it's just that you're uncultured. Uh, you uncultured swine. No, uh, so uh, <laughs> I, I, I've I, actually seen that one, too. Well, I'm glad it wasn't chosen. Now let's talk about that one.
0: Well, there'll be plenty to talk about with both the skin I live in and pod people. Another weird double feature. Yes. <laughs> <Jeez. for us. laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, but until then, everybody, we're going to go back into our Pokeballs and wait to fight each other again at some future date. Bye-bye. Yeah.
1: Yeah, RIP RBG.
0: Good night everybody.